Welcome to the regular podcast from Editorial Intelligence, the media analysis and networking business. You can see all our broadcast interviews on our EITV channel on YouTube and editorialintelligence.com. Hello. I really love introducing editorial intelligence events at someone else's gorgeous building. And uh, today is no exception. I'm Julia Hobsbawm, the founder of Editorial Intelligence. This is the third annual Mobile World Conference. It's one of our most favorite things because it brings together a clutch of deeply creative, innovative, unusual minds, both in the audience and on the stages. Um, In Britain, people can be slightly sniffy about sponsorship, and at Editorial Intelligence, we are the opposite. We cannot do what we do without fantastic partnerships. So City of London Corporation immediately grasped what we wanted to do. Uh, The the city is doing so much innovatively with uh, technology and mobile. Uh, Vodafone have supported us from the beginning. PayPal came on board, Huawei, and a very interesting and fruitful partnership with Hersey, run by uh, Joe Tanner and uh, Kirsty Walker, who are here, who um, have given us some fantastic women speakers that we wouldn't otherwise have had across our radar. And later on this morning, Weber Shandwick, run by um, the Public Affairs Department, run by the incomparable Alex Dean, are going to talk about politics on the move. So it's a very exciting lineup. I'm going to say the obvious that this is all on the record, so don't speak in a session if you don't want to be recorded. Do tweet at the hashtag MobileWorld13. And it now gives me a great pleasure to hand over to the man who, slightly to my surprise, said he tweeted already this morning. Am I allowed to say slightly to my surprise? Uh, Mark Boliat, who is um, the new guy in charge here at City of London Corporation, And uh, he is going to formally introduce uh, the Minister and to welcome you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Julia. I did indeed tweet about this at, I think, 4.30 this morning. Really sad. Uh, But I woke up early and could think of nothing better to do. I am Mark Boliot, the Chairman of the City's Policy and Resources Committee, and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to this venue. This is our livery hall. We discovered it four years ago when we were doing a bit of renovation work. It was full of records, so we ditched the records and made it into a livery hall. But we've been in this building for around 800 years, um, quite unlike that other democracy a little way down the west end of London. So, you know, this is really our long-established home. You can go 100 yards from here into a Roman amphitheatre, which we have tastefully restored and indeed is quite a tourist attraction. It really is our pleasure to be um, involved in this event today and to partner with Editorial Intelligence, PayPal and Vodafone. The City Corporation has a very odd range of functions and a very wide range of functions. One of the things we do is to support and promote London as the world's leading international and financial and business centre. And this means engaging with policymakers, regulators, and business leaders here in the UK and around the world. And indeed, in a 24-hour period, I will have had the pleasure of seeking to engage with Ed Balls last night, with the Chancellor tonight making his Mansion House speech, and in between we have the Prime Minister of Japan speaking here later today. 
London has been a centre of innovation throughout history. And as a result, we now have one of the world's leading financial centres where business firms from around the world seek to come here to base themselves and to trade globally. But as business and technology involves, so has London. While remaining an international centre for financial and business services, London has also come to be regarded as a leading centre for technology and for small start-up technology businesses in particular. This is because London has all of the right characteristics to thrive. I don't need to tell you that when entrepreneurs are looking for a place to base themselves to start up their business, they look for somewhere that will create the best environment for them. With our leading regulatory and legal systems and the ease of access to finance in London and the UK, although there's certainly scope for improvement there, it's little wonder that we've seen the rapid expansion of Tech City. And as I've already mentioned, you know, that's come to be regarded, as has London generally, as a major centre for high-tech startups. We're fortunate to have Tech City on our doorstep here, and as part of our work in supporting London's communities and strengthening London as an international business centre, we have a number of initiatives to support entrepreneurship and start-up businesses. This includes sponsorship of the Digital Shoreditch Festival, which brought together digital entrepreneurs, large inward investors, business angels and financiers. We're a core sponsor of the Entrepreneur First programme, which supports high-achieving graduates to found high-tech growth startups. We maintain close liaison with the Tech City Investment Organisation on events and other relevant activities. And despite all of the work we do, and despite the attractiveness of London as a leading location to start up, there are still some challenges that we need to address. And in particular, I want to mention the immigration system and particularly business visas, which we don't think yet fully meet the needs of a thriving, dynamic business community which needs to attract people from around the world. I hope you all find today useful and enjoyable and that you will make the most of the sessions and the speakers that we have. I would like to thank Editorial Intelligence for taking the lead in producing such an important conference at a salient time, and for the partner organisations, PayPal and Vodafone, for their input. It now gives me great pleasure to introduce Ed Vasey, MP, the Minister of State for Culture, Communications and the Creative Industries. Minister. Thanks uh, very much, Mark. It's great to be here. Fantastic to be hosted by the Corporation of London, which, of course, does a huge amount to support the arts, which is an important part of my portfolio. 80 or 90 million pounds a year, uh, which, of course, will be mentioned in Parliament this afternoon during the Opposition Day debate, uh, being rude about the government's policies on the arts. We will cite the huge investment made by the Corporation of London, as well as the government's huge investment in the arts. So thank you for that, Mark. And uh, thank you to Julia and to Editorial Intelligence for hosting this conference and inviting me to open it. Um, I know that you've got an interesting program for the morning, talking about how mobile is changing the way we uh, do things. And, of course, it's a complete uh, truism to say that mobile is completely transforming uh, almost everything we do uh, in our lives. So I think the first point to make is obviously how important having a good connection is. Uh, and I would say that, obviously, as a Vodafone customer. And the reason I want to big myself up as a Vodafone customer is that I'm just about to talk about EE, uh, but that is in no way uh, denigrating to Vodafone. 
but it does so happen uh, that EE is the first mobile company to launch uh, 4G services, and they will be followed this summer by their competitors. Uh, and the reason that 4G is so important, and the reason that mobile connection is so important, is that we in the UK are really pioneering in terms of digital engagement. It's UK consumers uh, are normally uh, the first to adopt new technology. We use our phones more. We do much more e-commerce. Uh, the internet contributes much more to our economy than comparable uh, countries. In Britain, mobile usage is increasing by something like 250% every year. We spend more time on the internet than any other nation, an average of 38 hours a week per person, and that is taking into account Julia Hobsbawm's own internet use. So you can imagine uh, what the peak periods are. Uh, and also there's an interesting point that actually uh, businessmen and women in the UK spend more time commuting than any other country in the world apart from Korea, the other nation known for its digital uh, pioneering. So we spend an average of 77 minutes per day uh, per worker. So when I was getting on the tube this morning, I had my digital experience. I followed a tweet from Julia saying she was getting in a luxury cab to come here. Uh, I waited on the station platform, bumped into a friend. We grunted at each other, that terrible social interaction when you just really want time for yourself. Uh, he, not being a digital native, got out his copy of Metro. I got out my iPad and started reading uh, the day's uh, newspapers. But you can see that that commuting time uh, is essential. Uh, it, it drives internet usage. And then, of course, when I got out of the station, I looked on my uh, maps to, in order to locate the livery hall. Uh, and because I'm still on 3G, the map wouldn't load. So long may 4G come. Uh, what is good news about 4G, for example, EE's launch of 4G has shown that uh, in London, 4G speeds are now three-quarters faster than they are in New York. That's always a statistic that pleases any politician when we start to beat the Americans uh, in something. Uh, it's also the case that um, 4G is beginning to replace Wi-Fi, which is something we all rely on as 3G customers, Something like a third, just over a third of 4G customers now use less or no public Wi-Fi. And also 4G is becoming a fixed line substitute too, with about one in five 4G customers now using uh, their home broadband less. So people across Britain are taking the opportunity to do more, play more, trade more on the move, uh, and in previously unconnected uh, communities. And 4G will have a significant effect on the UK Economy, with a fifth of British businesses already saying that 4G will save them money through increased productivity and having a more efficient workforce. And this is just the start. The expectations of people and businesses will continue to increase, as will the pace of change in network innovation and connectivity. So the 4G revolution puts us in the perfect place to become the leader and no longer the follower uh, in a digital revolution. In fact, research by Capital Economics predicts that the advent of 4G will create something like 125,000 new jobs over the next decade and could provide an annual boost of half a percent to our GDP. So 4G is very important. It's been led by the DCMS. Some of you may have read the occasional tweet uh, that the DCMS is up for abolition. Uh, this, like the first cuckoo of spring, 
comes around uh, every year an allegation that the DCMS will be abolished. But apart from obviously feeding the nation's soul with culture, sport and heritage, uh, we are at the forefront uh, of uh, putting in place uh, the infrastructure that is going to drive economic growth over the next four years. Not only did DCMS supervise uh, our highly successful 4G auction, which will bring some of the benefits I've talked about, we're also rolling out fixed-line broadband, uh, investing something like uh, half a billion pounds alongside BT and local councils to bring super-fast broadband to 90% uh, of the UK through 2014 and 2015. Uh, and that, again, will make uh, a massive difference alongside our mobile infrastructure project, which will bring voice coverage to communities that have previously been completely deprived of any mobile coverage uh, whatsoever. So there's a huge investment going on in Britain's digital infrastructure, as well as our successful digital television switchover and our moves as well towards uh, increasing coverage for digital radio, putting in place the kind of infrastructure Britain needs for the 21st century. Uh, how are things changing? Uh, I think there are a number of issues I think we need to think about. I had a fascinating meeting with the Government Digital Service uh, the other day, led by a man called Mike Bracken. The Government Digital Service is one of my favourite organisations. And what they've done, for example, is crunch together all government uh, websites. 24 government websites have come into one at gov.uk, uh, and they're now busily crunching together uh, all the non-departmental public bodies. And that was a very good example of how uh, changes perhaps in the Westminster Village will come about because of the digital revolution. Because me, being uh, a 20th century minister, if you like, the first question I said, I said to Mike Bracken, I said, well, I really like uh, the site, but I find it quite hard to find our press releases. Uh, and, of course, he looked at me like I was uh, mad because what people do now, they don't uh, look for a press release. They type in a query in the search engine. So the government digital service is geared up to, for you, the consumer, the person who interacts with government, to say, I would like to uh, renew my driving license, and you will then get taken to the right part of the government website, rather than say, I would like to read Ed Vasey's brilliant speech. Uh, or rather, you, know, you could type that in and you'll find my speech, rather than looking for a heading. And it's also fascinating, again, because uh, crunching digital together enables government, rather like a business, to see how it transacts with its citizens. And it won't surprise you to know that after tax, your biggest interaction in government is renewing your driving license. Can anyone guess, sorry to turn this into a school session, can anyone guess what the smallest transaction, the government has something like 600 transactions with its citizens, can anyone guess what the least used transaction is? It is applying to be buried at sea. Only 10 people a year, only 10 people a year apply for a license, presumably for their loved one, uh, to be buried at sea. And this is the kind of data that uh, digital throws up. And actually, what is at the heart of the digital revolution is going to be big data. And sometimes people think big data is scary. You have stories about Big Brother. But actually, every organization now uh, has to understand data uh, and how to use it. It's important that government plays a role in data protection, in striking the balance between the absolutely legitimate right of consumers and citizens to want to be protected, to want to make sure that they're not tracked, uh, to want to make sure that their data is not misused, 
but at the same time allowing businesses uh, to innovate uh, and uh, produce new services that we all uh, depend on uh, and benefit from. And the other thing, of course, that we all have to use, we all have to remember that our mobile phone is our digital uh, identity, and anyone running an organization or a business needs to understand how to effectively use data and how to effectively use social media. So you take something like the Corporation of London, which again is in the Luddite phase where its head is tweeting at 4.30 in the morning and nobody's seeing. So Mark has to go on a Twitter course to know when the peak tweet, tweeting time is for him to get across his key message. But those are the kind of skills now that people need to use. And that's why I think government has a role to play as well, uh, particularly in getting consumers online. Uh, we know that something like 8 million citizens don't use the internet or only use it occasionally. And as we move towards an entirely digital transaction uh, relationship. It's going to be absolutely vital that people have uh, the skills to use the internet. And that's why Martha Lane Fox's work uh, is so absolutely vital. And she's made such a huge impact already, but she still continues uh, her work, effectively corralling charities, not-for-profits, and um, business to work with her to push this agenda. And also the agenda, the Department of Business uh, led by Matt Hancock to get SMEs to understand e-commerce. Again, you all know the stats, I'm sure, that uh, businesses with a website grow obviously far more quickly than businesses without the huge opportunities that exist. Perhaps people in this audience would find it incomprehensible that any business didn't have a website, but many don't. Uh, and again, government, I think, has a role in teaching businesses uh, where they can uh, about e-commerce and the opportunities for e-commerce. And I think wedded to that is our agenda for the digital single market. I think actually where Europe can play a significantly positive role uh, is to put in place measures that make it much easier to transact digitally across the European Union. And that is uh, important in terms of uh, building trust. Uh, consumers need to trust e-commerce, uh, digital payments, digital signatures, uh, even um, haulage as well, uh, are all important as more and more of us use the internet uh, for our shopping and for uh, business. I think uh, turning to my creative industries and broadcasting hat, if you like, as well, there are huge challenges presented uh, by digital. There's the regulatory challenge of what you do about content. We obviously had our online uh, protection Summit yesterday you would have read about. Uh, that's a massive issue where government has a role to play uh, in ensuring that we can protect our children from harmful content and also wrestling with convergence and how you regulate content in a converged world. In an old top-down world where content was uh, pushed down by a small number of content providers, be it broadcasters or newspapers, you could uh, regulate with things like the watershed. Uh, now it's more difficult. We need to give consumers the tools to uh, configure the internet to suit their families' needs. Uh, and also we need to uh, push on things like age verification so that people who are trying to access inappropriate content are, uh, have to prove their age in order to do so. Uh, but there are also challenges for many of our established uh, broadcasters as well. I think uh, in the digital world, there is a now a pr almost paradoxically 
a premium on content. Uh, we've never actually, I don't think, in this country had such a rich environment for people who want to produce content, whether it's people wanting to produce it on their own uh, and build a huge following on YouTube or more traditional content uh, producers in terms of broadcasting uh, and film, where our tax credits are also going to make a huge impact in driving inward investment in this country. But at the same time, when you read that companies like Netflix are investing literally hundreds of millions of dollars, not only in their own content, but in the infrastructure and the servers to support uh, the pushing out of that content, you realize uh, that some of our broadcasters now need to be thinking about what kind of investments they need to be making uh, in order to support their distribution uh, models. So uh, that's a slightly uh, rambling uh, overview of uh, everything that um, uh, I think that uh, digital mobile is uh, having an impact on. But broadly speaking, I think that uh, the combination of our broadband investment uh, and the successful 4G auction is going to see uh, a step change in the digital infrastructure uh, that is provided in this country over the next two years. Every organization of whatever kind and every individual has to start, uh, has to be confident in using the internet and government has a role in providing them uh, with support in those areas. The way businesses do their business is going to have to change in terms of businesses now having to be aware of both uh, how to use data and how to use social media. There's a huge opportunity, I think, with the digital single market for Europe to create growth and jobs, and government as well has to make sure that in this digital environment we provide the same sort of protections uh, for our consumers and citizens that they've been used to in an analog world. So that sets out my agenda, and thank you very much for listening.